Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Mile End service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. It's the uh, scripture reading for today. We're taking a short break uh, from our series in Luke, and I want to read from Joshua chapter 14. Verses 6 to 14, it'll come up uh, behind me. Uh, and uh, it says as following, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kesesite, said to him, You know the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today. Please note any 85-year-olds in the uh, congregation today. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Wow. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. I have told this story before, but it bears repeating. Uh, Jackie Pullinger, a young English woman at 21, and a member, actually, of the Royal College of, Mus of Music, felt God speak to her and say, you're to go to the nations. Well, this was like the late 60s or early 70s. And what you did in those days, if you wanted to go to the nations, was you wrote to a mission agency. So Jackie did that. She wrote to several. And she said, I'm Jackie Pullinger, and this is what I think I should be doing. And they all responded to her and said, no, 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 you must be mistaken. We don't take people till they're 25. So you must have it wrong. The Lord can't possibly have spoken to you about going to the nations at this point in time. Well, what does a 21-year-old do when they're told this? Well, this 21-year-old went to speak to her vicar, who gave her a very uncommon piece of advice. It was this. Why don't you find a boat that stops at as many ports as possible around the world and pray and ask God when to get off? Well, Jackie said she was very suspicious of this suggestion because she thought mission work was meant to be hard and this sounded like far too much fun. So she took his advice and she got on a boat and it was actually in Hong Kong that she felt that she, would, she should get off. And through a series of unusual events, she found herself in the... Uh, Worst, the, the, the greatest slum in Hong Kong, it was a police no-go area, and that is where she started to live and she started to minister. And years later, 
Philippa and I went to work with Jackie. It's actually where we met, but that's incidental to the story. Uh, Jackie went to live in a place which the locals called the City of Darkness. Others called it the Walled City. The only way into this slum area, which was the size of two football pitches, imagine with around 60,000 people living in it, was to squeeze between what were apparently dentist shops, but actually they were illegal abortion clinics. Because this was a police no-go area, just about every sort of crime you can imagine and a few that you maybe can't were going on in this area. You would squeeze between these shops and your eyes would immediately uh, be struck by, t by the darkness and your smell would be, your smell senses would be struck by an overpowering sense of hot sort of warm sewage. You would clap your hands so that the rats would go away from you rather than towards you and you would walk very carefully as your eyes adapted to the darkness because of the open sewers on both sides. Whilst trying to duck the water that was dripping through the illegally tapped electricity pylon, uh, wires above. Jackie said that from the first time that she went there she couldn't understand why everyone didn't want to live there. Because she said that when she went in, she had a vision. And in her vision, the city, the walled city, was full of light. And she said that as she saw this place full of light, she could see children playing in the streets, which is something that in the walled city children never did. They were typically locked up in their rooms for up to 18 hours a day while both parents were out at work in the sweatshops. She said she could see old people, old men, sitting on street corners watching life go by, which maybe old age affords you at least sometimes the luxury of being able to do. And she said that she saw young ladies walking with dignity, with their heads held high. And if you were a young lady in the walled city, you were almost always working in the sex industry. And a sense of dignity was not the first thing that came to mind. Fast forward now to 2019. The Strouds are on a family holiday. We have just arrived in Hong Kong. We check into our hotel and we say to our now adult children, what do you want to do first? They said, let's go to the walled city. They said, we were raised on stories of Jackie Pullinger. Let's go and see. They knew that it was no longer... Uh, that the slum had been taken down and there was now a garden there, but they said, let's go and see it. So off we go. And as we approach it, Vicky, who normally attends this service, she's not here this morning, but Vicky is ahead of us. And as we approach the garden, she shouts out. She goes, look, children playing in the streets. And as we get closer, we see old men sitting on the corners of streets watching life go by. And there's loads of young women in the park, many of them young mothers, with their heads held high and a sense of dignity about their conduct. And that, along with many other things in the meantime, including the triad gangsters who ran the walled city, bowing the knee and coming to faith in Jesus, was all part of those, that vision of Jackie's, if you like, those promises coming true. Now, it's my conviction 
that this is one, it's not the only, but this is one of the ways that God works in our lives and gets things done. He gives us promises in our hearts and then he tells us to go and get them. Now, I'm not talking here about the essential and vital promises that Scripture is full of that apply to all of us, which could, we could fill a year preaching on and need to be clear and strong in our minds. That's, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that are just for you. Like the ones that were just for Abraham or just for King David or just for Gideon or just for Joshua or just for the Apostle Paul. What God typically does is he puts promises in our hearts and then over a period of time, and sometimes a very significant period of time, he tells us to go and get them. And the passage we've read and the individual we've read about this morning, Caleb, is a great example of this. The passage we read, Caleb is 85 years old. He's reflecting back. He's remembering the time that he, Joshua, 10 others to go into the, it's an interesting name, the promised land. In other words, the land that wasn't theirs yet, but that was promised. And there were 12 of them and they were to go in and the job was to look around and come back and report back to people what it was like. Many of you know the story. Off they went. Ten of them focused on the challenge. The challenge was that there were in the land men who were physically much taller and stronger than them. And when all warfare is hand to hand, that really matters. So 10 out of 12, 85% of the people came back and said, it's impossible. What they actually said is really interesting. They said, they, we feel like grasshoppers in their eyes and we are the same to them. In other words, and that's how they see us, which is intriguing because there's no record of them ever talking to someone and saying, do we look like grasshoppers? But in this sense of inadequacy, in this sense of insecurity, in this sense of I am out of my depth, they're like, <laughs> let's take a pass on this one and let's find somewhere else. Then there was Caleb and there was Joshua. They were different. They didn't focus on the challenge of the giants. They focused on the amazingness of the land. They came back and said, wow. It would be amazing if the Lord gave us this. We have never seen somewhere so fertile. I bear in mind they've been living in the desert for the last 40 years. This is for, it's flowing with milk and honey, they said. By God's grace, it is as for the taking. But in the midst of that big drama, that's, if you like, the national story. Will the people go to the land that is promised? There's an individual story. It's always the case. As we pursue things as a church, there's a church story to tell. Now a church story of almost 20 years, 20-year anniversary. Next year, we'll get to tell the story of the last 20 years. But in the midst of a church story, there's your story and there's my story. And there's scores and scores, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people's stories. And that's how the Lord works. And here we get the individual story, not just the national drama. It's the story of Caleb, one of the two, that saw things differently. Not only did he see things differently, but we're told here that he saw a particular place, the hill country around Hebron, 
And during his time there, God spoke to him and said, that is to be yours. Now, we don't know how that happened. I've sort of been thinking about it this last couple of weeks. Maybe as they were going through it, somebody turned to him and said, hey, Caleb, I could see you and your family here. And it just went into Caleb's heart. You know how occasionally somebody says something and you think it's more than just a comment? I went to see a publisher about writing a book. I said to him, I don't know whether to just sneeze a book out. I've written a previous book, and if any of you have read it, you will know I sneezed it out. I said, I don't know whether to sneeze it out or whether this one needs to be the best that I can do. Quick as a flash, he came back to me. We're only interested in your best book. And it felt like the Lord. Boom. Which is why none of you have read it yet, because it's still to be written. But sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Some, somebody says something, you just think, oh, that's more than just a comment. Or maybe Caleb, as he's walking through the hill country around Hebron, is just looking at it and just thinking, wow, this is fantastic. And then that night as he sleeps, he has a dream. And in that dream, the Lord says, one day I want to give you and your family this land. Or maybe it's as he thinks and he reflects in the years later and he prays and his heart grows with confidence and with faith. We don't know how it happened, but all of those are quite possible. And I hope you understand, I'm not really focusing here on the physical land. I'm using this as a metaphor of the spiritual inheritance that the Lord gives us. Now we're 45 years later. Those of you that think you've been waiting for a while, 45 years later, and Caleb stands up and he says to Joshua, don't forget me. I want the hill country that the Lord has promised me. And so you understand the name of this message, the title of this message, was up there. But what's your hill? What's your mountain? What is it that God has for you? Now, it may be that you identify with Caleb, the old man. And you're like, I've had promises for years, and it's time for me to say to the Lord, I want that. I'm ready to move to act for it. Or it may be that you're like Caleb, the young man. That you're at a stage in life where you're going, Lord, what's my mountain? What is it that you are putting in my heart? Or it may be that you're in the waiting period in between. Well, this passage helps us with all three of these. But just before we draw those out a little more, let me just ask you, what has God pressed into your heart? What has God pressed into your heart? It may be something personal or it may be something bigger. I know there are people in this room and you would say, I feel like God's put in my heart a promise that he'll visit this nation again. That the church will be revived in this nation. So that is a national, that is a national promise. Or it may be a personal one. It may be for an area of ministry that God is giving you. Sometimes, and I use worship just because it's an obvious one, but sometimes somebody will start leading worship, you know, for the first time, and I'm like, oh, wow, we've got something special here. You know that? You, or somebody preaches for the first time, or somebody leads, and you just think, 
oh, I wonder what God's put in their hearts. Because it's obvious on the outside that there's special grace for them in this area. It may be an area of ministry. It may be an area, a professional area, where, you'll get that, where your focus is not on advancement for success, but for advancement for service to mankind and for the glory of God. It may be for the salvation of loved ones, the healing of loved ones, the healing of relationships in a broken family, the restoration of a relationship with a parent, all sorts of things. And it's not unusual for the Lord to press into the ones that are where it's really tender. So I want to ask you, What's he said to you? Now you may say to me, well look, how do I know it's God? Well, there's testing that needs to happen. There's weighing, to use a New Testament term, that needs to happen. But let me ask you this question, because we can't do a whole sermon on testing now. What's your tendency? Is it to believe God too much, or is it to believe God too little? I mean, which way do you tend to learn, lean? Or to put it another way, is your struggle with doubt and lack of conviction or are you overconfident when it comes to these sorts of things? Now, I know most of you and I know what our proclivity is. And of course, it's to lack of conviction, all of us, many of us, me, rather than overconfidence. So bear that in mind when you're testing these things. Now, what are, the character, what are the characteristics of these sorts of promises? What's the characteristics of God's work in this sort of way? And I just want to manage, mention a few in the time that we've got. The first is that these promises, these things God puts in our hearts, are decided in heaven before they happen on earth. They're decided in heaven before they happen on earth. Let me give you an example. You can turn to it afterwards if you like. Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. The Lord says to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. It's a fascinating statement because do you know what verse 1 says? Jericho is all shut up and strongly protected. And Joshua's on the outside. So when the Lord says to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, you know what I would have said if I was Joshua? No, you haven't. I mean, like, it's obvious. That place is all shut up. It's all strongly defended. But that's not what the Lord meant. What the Lord meant was it's done in heaven. Now go and get it on earth. It talks in Numbers or Deuteronomy about inheriting our inheritance. And when you read about inheritance... In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is the inheriting of the promises of the people of God corporately, and he gives promises corporately, and the promises of God individually as well. So it's done on earth, it's done in heaven, so go and get it on earth. Before Philip and I moved to London to start Christchurch London, I needed the permission, the blessing, the favour of the equivalent of the bishop, the head the key guy in the network of churches we were in and I remember as I was talking to him 
And incidentally, and just to say, the Lord kept us waiting. This guy had shingles. And everyone else was like, yeah, you're ready, go. Now, we've been waiting 20 years, whole other story. But God had put promises in my heart 20 years before. So six months felt like eternity at that point in time. Finally, he's better. I'm calling him. Do you know what I say to him? I say to him, I've got the promises. That's actually the words that I used. He was like, I know. He would say, yeah, but how this? I don't know. It's not the point. It's been done. My sense, it's been done in heaven. Now we go and get it. And that's how it works. It's done in heaven, so we get it on earth. Inherited. Secondly, these are things that seem impossible without God's help, ladies and gentlemen. Impossible. When Caleb entered the land of Canaan, the obstacles were enormous. As I've said, 85% of the spies described it as impossible. So, any time, so you know, the lesson from that verse is don't listen to the 85%. And then we find in chapter 15, in verse 14, that's the next chapter on, that the very place that Caleb is going has giants in it that he is going to have to defeat. So he can't just be all mouth. He can't be all like, it's fine. It's going to be fine. You lot will be fine. No, he's got to go, and he's got to defeat giants. So this was not something Caleb could believe in theory. He had to be convinced that though the current inhabitants were stronger, that this was God's promise. So, if you are tempted to abandon your pursuit because it is impossible, can I suggest you're making a big mistake? Our danger is not most of the time that we try for too long, but that we stop too quickly. Very vivid and simple example of this. Uh, was enacted for me just the other day. Philip and I are at an airport and we're looking for the baggage carousels. And I, think, I, say, I go, I think they're up there. And I get to a certain point and it's like, no, they can't be. So we walk the whole way back. If I'd gone another two steps, I would have seen the baggage carousels. But I stopped too soon. Our biggest danger is not that we wait for too long Our biggest danger is that we give up too soon. Third characteristic of these promises is that there's often a long period of delay before the fulfillment of the promise. For Caleb, it was more than four decades. The Lord kept us waiting to come to London for 20 years. Whenever I complained, I was reminded of Caleb, and I thought I'd better be quiet quickly, otherwise I might have to wait longer. If you've been waiting for a long time, that does not invalidate the promise. It actually, it's likely to mean you're bang on course. And there are many examples of this, not only in scripture, but in history as well. One of the ones that I often think of is a man who lived in this city. Or just outside this city, William Wilberforce. You're familiar with the story, many of us. 1787 puts down his first motion on the floor of the House of Commons to abolish the slave trade. For the next 12 years, he tries seven times. They all fail. You know how long it is after his first attempt before the slave trade is made illegal? 19 years. 
But even then, he felt his job was not finished. Because whilst it was illegal, there were many in slavery who he was committed to the emancipation of. That took another 19 years. In fact, when he retired from the House of Commons after 38 years, he had still not seen success. It was three years after that that the abolition of slavery bill was passed. And three days later, William Wilberforce died. The writer of The to the Hebrews calls us to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. I want to suggest that's a very powerful combination. Faith, so I still believe. Patience, I do not give up. Patience is a very underrated quality for the Christian. Live, positive patience is a powerful weapon. I recommend it heartily because the scriptures do. It's a great combination. Believing God for the impossible and being prepared to settle in for the long haul to see it come about. Fourthly, for those of you that are in the waiting period, which I guess is many of us, because just to say too, it's not like he just gives you one promise. Often he'll give a number. So he gives you one, and whilst you're waiting for that, then he gives you another, and you're waiting for that, or you inherit that one, but you're still waiting for another. The waiting process, during the waiting process, guess what God is actually focused on? He's not focused on what's happening beyond you. He's focused on what's happening in you. The waiting process is the process that God uses to shape our hearts. And we looked at Joseph a while ago, and we looked at his story, and we took something of this framework. And when Joseph goes from prison to second in command of the empire of Egypt in a day, there's three qualities that Pharaoh observes of him. He says, you've got wisdom, you've got discernment, and you're full of the Spirit. And it was those three things which evidently being in prison and falsely accused of sexual misconduct, those were just the things that Joseph needed to shape his heart and make him wise, discerning, and full of the Spirit. So if you are going through hell at the moment, then it may be that the Lord is going to use that to shape wisdom, discernment, and fullness of the Spirit, or whatever it is you need in your heart, so that you're the person that you need to be to inherit the promises. What is your mountain? Here's the challenge whilst we're waiting. It's to, to avoid the heart growing sick. To avoid the heart growing sick. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. It says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you long for something and you don't get it, it's really easy for your heart to go off. What do I mean by that? Well, the first battle is cynicism. Anyone here know cynicism? Cynicism is when you stop believing God and you start questioning everybody else as well. It's one of the things that undermines leadership. Because not, not that we should trust blindly anyone, that's foolishness. 
But equally, we shouldn't question cynically those who we've given our hearts to. That also, in my view, is foolishness. After cynicism comes passivity. Passivity is when we stop trying. We started out on the front row and now we're on the back row. I mean that metaphorically for my friends who are... You understand what I'm saying. We just stop trying. It's just not worth it. So it goes cynicism, passivity, and then it goes distraction. Distraction is when you meet people who used to be very passionate about Jesus who now seem to have swapped that passion for a hobby or for some other pastime or pursuit. And you sort of go, is it really that important? And the reason is they've filled the place that used to be there for Jesus with something else instead. Are those things valuable? Yes, of course they are. They're gifts from God. But any gift from God that becomes more important than God becomes an idol and distracts from God and actually takes us on the path that Samson went on, which went from being someone full of strength to being someone who becomes compromised. And when we're compromised, we lose spiritual strength and we lose spiritual authority as a result because we can become distracted. So how about you? Are you like the young Caleb? You're looking to God right now. Lord, what's my mountain? You're listening to him. Seeking to believe him for what he has to say. Let me just say this if you're a young Caleb here. Don't wait for the promise before you start moving. Typically, the promise comes when you're moving. I, so for Caleb, it wasn't that he's sitting here, is it east of the Jordan, whichever side of the Jordan, in the desert, going, I wonder which promise God's going. No, he goes in, he's starting to work it out, and then God gives him some specificity. Many of you know the story of Philip and I moving here and some of the very unusual, unexpected things that happened. But they happened as we started to explore, as we started to go, not as we sat in Birmingham doing what we had been doing up until then. So if you're a young Caleb, keep your hearts open to promises, but don't get passive in the meantime. Or maybe... You're like Caleb in this story. You're like, I need to get moving. Joshua, give me the mountain that God has promised me. Or maybe you're realizing that you could miss it. That you've got to dust down promises that are not only now in the cupboard, but they're in the very back of the cupboard. They're not only covered by a couple of old T-shirts, but they're thoroughly dusted and mothballed as well. And you need to get them out, and you need to blow the dust off, and you need to consider them again and go back to the Lord. Lord, is this you? Did you say? Or maybe you need to declare war on cynicism, passivity, and distraction. The spiritual life, the Christian life, is all about our hearts. And that's the key battleground in the whole of our lives. I wonder whether the 
worship band could come back, please. And uh, we're going to sing. Um, we're going to. I've asked Natalie whether we can sing a, a song we sing from time to time here, "Waiting Here for You." And uh, that's not a waiting here for you, so we can be passive. This is waiting here for you with our hearts open. But two, what I want to do when we start praying is I'd like those of you that are on the prayer team or happy part of the church and happy to pray for others this morning, I wonder whether you can come either to the front or just to this side wall and you can face outwards. And then as we're singing, I want to give others of us an opportunity. If you'd like to receive prayer today. Um, we've not done this a lot in this building, but just to say, coming up doesn't make you worse or better than anybody else. You're just like, welcome to life. We all need prayer from time to time. Welcome to life. None of us have got our heart where it should be the whole time. So if this can be of benefit and assistance to you, then we'd love to do that. So can I ask us to stand, but I, I'm going to need, I think we've got David on the prayer team this morning. David, do we have anyone else? Oh, we've got Jess and we've got Alex. We've got three. We're going to need more than three, I suspect. So, guys, can you come out? Let's stand. Can you come out? But some others, some of you who are part of the church, can you just come and just thank you, Lisa? Lisa, first one out. And just spread yourselves and we can go up this side as well if we want. All right, fantastic. And we can, we'll call for some more if you want. Just invite you, just as, don't wait till the end of the song. Okay, that's, we're finishing then. Come, come early. Come straight away and let's, let's sing. God bless you.